So if you recall this last summer, um, the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, uh, there were all kinds of events, all right? And you might recall that there was one particular event that drew the attention of people, not because of who won it, but because of what happened during the event. It was the 5,000-meter women's race. And as you know, with races such as that, they take off, and they're in a big pack together. And they're running around the track. And this particular race, they were running all packed together, tight. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the race, something happens, something unexpected. Two young ladies who had trained their life for this event somehow got tripped, and they fell. And you might recall the... uh, Two ladies, one was from the United States, her name was Abby, and the other was from New Zealand, and her name was Nikki. And before they knew it, all their dreams and their aspirations of running this race, they had fallen. And when they had fallen, they did not know what to do. One in particular, Abby, she gets up and she looks at the pack running away from them. And in that moment, what are you thinking? Your dreams, your aspirations, what you'd hoped would happen, what you trained for. The last four years, it's going, it's fleeting, it's running away with the pack of people. And there you are, a crumbled mess, having fallen and you're broken on the track. And so she pulls herself up, Abby does, and she looks ahead and she turns around. And then she realizes that the New Zealand runner has fallen and, and is not maybe able to get up. And so she makes the effort to turn around and go and help up the New Zealand runner. And as it turns out, Abby was actually the one who was hurt more than Nikki was. And so after a little while, Abby starts to fall as they're trying to walk because Abby says, you know, we've got to get up. We got to get up. We are going to finish this race. We are going to, this is the Olympics. We're going to finish this race no matter what. This is what we train to do. And so they're encouraging one another. And as they work their way along, one trips and the other falls and they help them up and they make it. Now, I tell you what, no one remembers who won the 5,000 meter race. But do you remember this scene? This scene, in one way, can be taken um, as a life story. You're not running around a physical track in the Olympics, but you are running a race of life. And there's a good chance, I think probably a high probability, that all of us in this very room, we have fallen and we have stumbled and we have found ourselves in a broken mess on a track And we have looked up, and maybe there was some dream, some aspiration that we had, and we see it fleeting. It's it's running away from us, and we think we can never get at that again. But I'm here to tell you this morning that whether there was a sense of loss or brokenness that happened in your life, a dream that went away, you can get up. Because our God is a God of second chances, And God can take your broken life this morning and he can transform it and he can help you. Because I tell you what, what we're in is something far greater than the Olympics. This is life. And you only get one life to live. So where's your head at for this year? 
Where's your head at in your life for what's going on right now? Are you down? Are you reflecting on what didn't happen or, or what happened to you, whether by accident or somebody else? Or are you realizing that you can get up and you can move forward and have a tremendous story because of what God wants to do in your life? And so what I want us to do this morning is step into this series. And this series is in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an ancient book, but Nehemiah was someone who God used powerfully in the Israelites' life. And how he used him is going to be investigated by us over the next few weeks. And in that, I want you to grab a hold of some of the dreams and the brokenness, or maybe you don't have a dream and you need to get a dream, right? Because God's made us that way. And see what he wants to do in your life. So this isn't just some history lesson of some ancient book in the Bible. This is real time because God works in the same way with all of us, as we will see in the book of Nehemiah. And there's two questions that I'm going to have you sort of answer this morning. The first question is this, who am I? And the second is, what breaks my heart? Who am I and what breaks my heart? Nehemiah begins this way. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the forest fortress of Susa. Now, you always have to have the background to the story, right? Well, here's Nehemiah. He's writing his memoirs, just like people write memoirs today. He's basically saying, hey, this is my story. This is the story of my people, and this is what was going on. In late autumn, the month of Keslev, it's actually the first part of December most likely, he was uh, at a place in what's modern-day Iraq called Susa. And in Susa, there was a, a fortress, and the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, reigned at that time. All right? Now, to know the backdrop to the story, though, you've got to understand the backdrop that goes beyond that to what was happening with God's people. All through the Old Testament of the Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures, God had one plan for picking the Israelites. Nehemiah was a Jew, and as a Jew, he had been exiled. And he had been exiled out of Israel. He was in, all right, Um, this foreign land, and he was serving the king, and his life was going quite well, as we're going to find out. But what the backdrop to the story is Israel had not been obedient to God. One of the critical passages to understand how God's working through all the scriptures is found in Genesis 12, 2 to 3, with Abraham, when God said this, I will make you into a great nation, talking about Abraham, and I will bless you, And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Simply put, you can sum up this passage, and maybe you've heard this before, you are blessed to be a blessing. God came to the Israelites and said, you know what? I need to show all the people on earth what a great God that I am that I'm a a great God, but that I'm a personable God, that I'm a noble God, that my presence can come and be a part of your life. I'm just not the absentee landlord who created the earth and then said, you have at it, I'm out of here. He says, I want people to know me. 
And so he comes and he picks a group of people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, and he says, here's what's up. I'm going to bless you as a people, not because you're so great or you've done anything, you're so noteworthy. I'm just picking you guys. I'm going to bless you so you can sit around and say, I'm just blessed. No, I'm going to bless you so what? You can be a blessing. So let's say that together. You're blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. You got that ready? Here we go. We'll say it all together. You are blessed to be a blessing. Now make it first person. I am blessed to be a blessing. All right. So that's God's game plan. That's what he had going on with the Israelites. He, he wasn't like picking them out, specialness, those kinds of things. I know there's a lot of political debate sometimes over Israel and the Jewish nation these days, and they are God's people. But and the reason they're God's people was because he wanted to use them to be a blessing and to articulate to the whole world. Now, if you want to get the backdrop more to the story, you have to understand what happened as it related to that passage. We're talking... Many hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Helechiah. In late autumn in the month of Keslev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. Okay, what's happening? Where they're at? Well, Israel, Judah, fell in 586 B.C. In other words, things were demolished. And they were exported, many of them, out of Israel into Babylon. I want to read for you a particular passage that gives reference to this. I mean... Judah had some good kings like Josiah, but then then we'd have these young bucks take over. I mean, people 18, 20, 23, they would rule and reign. And the prominent phrase was to these kings, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord their God. And so God had a foreign nation, the nation of Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, believe it or not, come in and take them over. Because he says, listen. You were supposed to be a blessing to people, and you were so evil. You were so away from my plan that I've got to wake you up somehow. And so he sent foreign people to come and take over the land, and we find this in Second Chronicles 36, verse 11. Zedekiah, a new king for Jude at that time, was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and he refused to humble himself in the presence of the prophet Jeremiah, who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was of Babylon. So Babylon comes over and says, we're taking over for you, right? Even though he had taken an oath of loyalty in God's name. Zedekiah was a hard and stubborn man, refusing to turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the leaders and the priests of the people became more and more unfaithful. They followed the pagan practices of the surrounding nations, desecrating the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them, for he had compassion on his people and his temple. 
you've got to remember that. Sometimes people say, well, God's awful mean God in the Old Testament. He does this and that, kills these people. No, God's continually trying to wake us up when we're doing evil and we're wayward to say, hey, listen, I have compassion on you. The temple, the temple represented God's presence. And that's why it was sacred and holy. It wasn't because there was just brick and mortar. It's for what represented there and how they came together in worship. And they were desecrating the temple. They were living uh, erroneous, sinful lives. But he had compassion. And so in his compassion, he allowed brokenness to come into the nation. But the people mocked these messengers of God who came and spoke prophetically and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and there was no remedy. So verse 17. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young and old, men and women, healthy and sick. God handed them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king also took home to Babylon all the utensils, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both God's temple and the royal palace. He also took with him all the royal princes. Then his army set fire, listen to this, to the temple of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived, Jews who survived, were taken away to Babylon, and they became servants to the kings and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate for 70 years, just as the prophet had said. All right. Backstory. Messed up. God has compassion. He says, I've got to wake him up. Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the fall, final fall of Judah, Israel, 586 B.C vast majority exiled, exported to Babylon. Seventy years. But shortly after they were exported to Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar, a cruel guy, Persia, more northern, Iran, they come down and take over Babylon and the Babylon Empire. So now it's no longer Babylon kings, It's now Persian kings. Thankfully, Persian kings had a little bit more compassion and sympathy. There were a couple waves of people that were sent back. After that 70 years, the first wave with Ezra, and you find it written in Ezra, Zerubbabel went back and began to rebuild the temple. And Ezra, Ezra was like a spiritual priest and leader. A few years later, he came back with a few more and they began to restore this nation, the, the capital of Judah, Jerusalem. But Nehemiah wasn't a part of those crowds. In fact, Nehemiah, even his parents, had no connection with Israel. But he was aware of it. It was his homeland. And his brother, one of his brothers it says here, Hananiah, he was from that place. Now, we're going to find out in later weeks, actually in verse 11, Nehemiah was a very privileged man. 
He was not a preacher. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not on staff in some church. Nehemiah was a common layperson. He had a job, and his job was to be a cupbearer for the king, which basically means he was part of the um, security team. He actually headed up the security team because whatever the king tasted, you wanted to make sure that it wasn't poisoned, right? That's what a cupbearer did. But it was more than that. What, what the cupbearer did was he oversaw all the security people to make sure things ran well. And he had been trusted with a lot by this now Persian king, Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, his father was Xerxes. And his father was killed in his own bed by the head of a security guard. So don't you think that Artaxerxes would find somebody very trustworthy that he could place in charge of the palace and what was going on that would not do the same to him? So Nehemiah, he sort of lived a pretty high life. He lived a high life and and he enjoyed all the splendor. Things were going well for him. And then he gets a visit. He gets a visit from his brother. And his brother comes and his brother begins to lay out for him what was happening there. I mean, after the little chit-chats, hey, how's it going? Good, a long trip, huh? Those kinds of things. You know, he may have had a drink or two, some things going on. You know, Nehemiah leans over and he looks in his brother's eyes and he says, hey, how's it going back there in Jerusalem? You know, I'm so glad some people have gotten back there and I hear Zerubbabel built the temple and and Ezra, I know, is leading some Bible studies. That's pretty cool. But, but how is it really going, bro? And he says, you really want to know, Nehemiah? And so he tells Nehemiah this. Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then it says, when I heard this, Nehemiah said, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. How's it really going, bro? Let me tell you, it's not going that great. We're sort of being mocked. We're ridiculed by people around us. Yeah, it was great that the Persian king let us go back. And, and you know, we got the, the temple sort of got going and rebuilt there and, and stuff. But, it, you know, the walls... The walls aren't there. And what did the wall represent? The wall represented protection. The wall represented strength. So it'd be like, yeah, we got the temple, and they're sort of trying to get the presence of God back here, and Ezra's trying to do his thing as a priest. But, man, it's just really not happening like it should, and people are are mocking us, and and we're in trouble, and, and we're disgraced. It's just not good, Nehemiah. Now, the wall, we're not talking a little few bricks even like the wall that's in your backyard here in SoCal. I mean, this was a huge wall. I mean, the the stones were like the size of a a VW bug, all right? And these things were just placed, huge walls. Some of you have been to Israel, and you've seen, you know, remnants of of the walls and, 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 and the Temple Mount and all that kind of stuff. And you step back and you go, how did you pick that up? But it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Tore down their wooden gates at every corner. They were set on fire. People would come and go. Enemies could walk in and out. There was no semblance of a city or a nation of people. And when Nehemiah heard what was going on, he didn't say, Ah, it's too bad, bro. 
Hey, you want to come have some more food? Big game's on. He sat down and he wept. In fact, for days he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed to God of heaven. Now, verses 1 through 4, that's all we're looking at today for Nehemiah. Because embedded in this is a challenge for you and I as it relates to the two questions. Who am I? And what, am I, what is my heart broken for? You see, for a lot of us, as, as we journey through life, we get our identity placed upon us by what we do or what other people think about us. And so if you were to ask, well, who are you? You say, well, my name's so-and-so. Someone might say, well, where do you live? You know, so I sort of live here. And then other people, you know, well, what do you do? And this is sort of what I do. Your identity becomes encased in what the world thinks of you. And sometimes you find yourself in a prison inside because of what you think about you. Something happened to you. And maybe it was unexpected. You were just heading along in life. Things were going really well. And maybe out of the blue, something tripped you up and you fell flat on that track. Life just ran you over. Maybe it was a decision that you made. And now you deal with the consequences of it. And you deal with the consequences of it every day of your life in your mind. Oh, you sort of hide it. But your identity has been changed because of what happened to you. Or maybe it was a decision that somebody else made. Maybe it was just a natural outflow of their poor decisions, and then you got ran over by that, and so now you're in this predicament because this is what was handed to you in life. And so if you were to answer the question, who am I, you were going back to that moment, unpredictable moment, when you fell flat on your face, and there was brokenness in your life. But God comes to you, as he did with the Israelites, and he wants you to know that that's not your identity. Whether you went through loss, maybe you went through a divorce, maybe you went through a bankruptcy, maybe you fell into some illegal matters, maybe you have just never accomplished anything in your life and people think you're just a no good for nothing kind of individual. I don't know what it is that when you fell, your identity is wrapped up in that brokenness. But that's not who you are. Who you are is defined by what scriptures teach us, and scriptures teach us that we are made in the image of God, and that you and I are children of God. In fact, I like how one pastor put it, he says, you're a love child of God. Is that what comes to your mind when you answer the question, who am I? Who am I? God would say, you're created in my image. I created you to love me because I love you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And it doesn't matter what all the other decisions are that came down in your life or what's going on. When you come to this question, who am I? You need to get to a place where you realize your identity is as a chosen child, a loved child of God. And here's Nehemiah. He's caught up in all the comfort of his SoCal world. And he's just enjoying the splendor, nice home, couple cars, 2.1 kids. You know, he's living out the dream. He lives in the palace. He gets to eat all the food. Now, you know, if something's poison, that's a bad day for him, I suppose. But, you know, he's like really living it up. 
But somewhere in Nehemiah's heart, he never lost sight of who he was as a Jewish person. That he's someone who's chosen by God. That's blessed by God. Who am I? Who am I? That's a critical question for each one of us to answer every day that we get up. Because I can tell you, the yakking of other people, whether it's at work, on social media, maybe it's the whispers of the devil himself just telling you you're a loser, you're good for nothing, look what happened to you. It's a battle every day. And you have to stay true to God's word, true to him in prayer, and reflect, this is who Scripture says that I am. One of your reasons to be here, to worship God and sing songs, oh, how he loves us, right? And I need to be reminded that we're a love child of God. Because that's not what our world's doing. Our world's trying to push you down, grind you down a little bit. Why? Because we like to step on one another. We want to get on top of one another. We want other people around us to say, we want them to have a good life. But I don't want them to have a good life because they have a too good life. I feel bad about me not having what they have. Right? So we sort of play this game of one-upmanship. And we're all in elementary and we're still doing it. Why? Because the adversary likes to get our myopic focus on brokenness and the not having enough kind of mentality in our world rather than what we have. We have the blessing and the favor of God. Even if you're not even been much interested in God in your life and you showed up today, I want you to know God created you because he loves you. And he does have a plan for your life. So, buck up to the truth. Don't cower and stay broken and fallenness underneath the lies. Who am I? And Nehemiah reckoned that he was God's child. But then, what happened with him? He goes on to this second question of what would break my heart? What breaks your heart? Nehemiah, when he heard the news, broke his heart. That's not right. That's not right. Each of us have our own story. Some of us are doing some incredible things for God because your heart was broken about something. He said, I'm going to see change there. You know why? Because God put in you the ability and the desire to be great. Oh, not great for your own sake, but great for him. He didn't create you just to exist. He created you and I to bless other people. And so you can blame it on God, if you will, some of the brokenness that happens to his life, because in our brokenness, God uses that to speak signals about what we need to be doing with our life. I am broken about this. Or this happened to me, and, and, and you go back and you look at it, and say, out of that brokenness, God's speaking to me. I want to do something about that. Things like crisis pregnancy centers, other kinds of, of, of ministries that, that have come birthed out of brokenness. You can see it happen all over the place. So when you want to answer the question, what breaks my heart, why don't you look about how you fell? I fell. That happened to me. I brought it on myself. Other people brought it on me. But something out of that brokenness, I'm picking myself up. God's helping me pick myself up, and I'm going to make good out of it because he's breaking my heart for something. What breaks your heart? Can I tell you one of the reasons that we don't find what breaks our heart? Comfort. Comfort. 
Because when we live in comfort and all's going well and, and we're just enjoying the bounty of the land, we don't think about brokenness. You have to make a decision that you're willing to step out of your comfort to take on the burden of brokenness. I remember when I was in graduate school and I was uh, in an upstairs little uh, servant's quarters of a larger house right along the Hudson River and um, in New York area where I was going to graduate school. And I remember seeing all the traffic in the cars and being overwhelmed in metropolitan New York City area. And I said to myself, I said, God, can you, I don't know, I'm studying here to be a pastor, right? And you can be a pastor as a career or you can be a pastor by calling. And I want to be a pastor by calling. And so I said, God, I need you to break my heart for lost people. Well, you're not going to find yourself with a broken heart for lost people unless you get around people that are lost and that there's brokenness. And to do that, sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone and start to give and offer a blessing to other people. And so God comes to Nehemiah through the brother. The story shared. Nehemiah's heart is broken. And Nehemiah chooses, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, to do something about it. But he was willing to take on the burden of brokenness. Take on the burden of brokenness. Matthew 23, 11 out of the message says this. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content, but if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. And what it means to be yourself is to just dial in to who you are as a child of God, a loved child of God who has brokenness, who has pain, who has lost dreams that have fleeted away or maybe a dream that never came to you. This is who I am. It's just me. But in the simple me, my life can count because I can step down. I can step away from comfort. Not that comfort is bad necessarily, but it can just blind us to the needs that that are existing around us. And be a servant. And as you're a servant, you're going to start to discover the beauty of who God made you to be. You're going to have wins that are on your list that have nothing to do with your portfolio of what you own or don't owe or what job title you have. You're going to have a litany of people that you've impacted and touched. Are you going to step out and have your heart broken for what God wants your heart to be broken about? You never know what God will lead you to. Nehemiah went back and he did rebuild the walls, as we'll see. Following that, the scriptures have 400 years of silence. But God knew what he was going to do. He said, come on, Nehemiah, do this. And Nehemiah did it, started to establish the health of that nation again. 400 years later, God said to John the Baptist, he said, come on, I want you to get out on the way and start proclaiming that the Messiah is coming because now the Messiah, God's presence, isn't going to come and be a part of the temple. He says, I'm actually going to bring the presence of God into my people. So, John, I want you to proclaim, to prepare the way for the Lord because the Messiah, the long hope for the Messiah is finally coming. 
and then God sends his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ does what the temple was all about. Jesus Christ offers his very life, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of sins. It dies on a cross, is raised from the grave. And Jesus then is able through his spirit, as we've even prayed here this morning, to come and be in the presence of people in your life, in my life, in the broken lives that are around us. God has this plan that's unfolding through the years. You are blessed to be a blessing. Is it work on that again? You are blessed to be a blessing. And that's what he's called us to. And so this grand plan he's unfolding. And now here we sit at the precipice of 2017, another year that God's given us. And it's like, well, what do you want us to do, God? Stop licking your wounds. Get up. I'm going to help you. I want people to know that I'm personable, that I'm knowable, that I'm the God of second chances, that I can forgive people's sins, that I can set before them dreams. And you start living that kind of trajectory with your life. You'll look around and you'll start saying to yourself, wow, you know, it was in the beginning of 2017 when I decided to get up off the track and I decided to do what God's called me to do, which is to know him. Yes, he's blessed me. Yes, but to be a blessing, to serve the lost and the broken I'm going to ask Joe to come and the worship team I'm going to close with a song here this morning and I want you as we finish out with this song to just let your heart be captured with the presence of God speaking to you in this season of life taking your brokenness your identity issues or whatever it may be and answering those two questions who am I and what is my heart broken for In fact, in our life groups this week, those are two great questions to be used and just interact on. Who am I? And what is my heart broken for? And out of that, God can use and change and transform our lives. When I was a youth pastor, I used to pray that God would call young people to be serious followers of him. It became commonplace for me to hear challenges such as this challenge that comes out of Nehemiah. But sometimes I think we've gone soft with challenges to step up or as that Matthew passage says, to step down and to serve. This weekend I've been praying for a friend of mine who was one of those 15-year-old kids that came to place his life in Christ. No church background. Came to know Jesus. Set his life on a trajectory of serving Jesus with his life. Went to an unreached country in the middle of Central Asia where it's illegal to preach the gospel. And he and his wife established a church ministry as missionaries. He came back from there. He pastored another church that seemed to take off really well. And then recently, a year or so ago, he left that church to start an inner city church with just a few people. I've been praying for him this weekend because uh, he's at a youth conference in Tennessee. And he's the keynote speaker to 12,000 young people. When I look back on my life, God's starting to teach me to not look at the big and grandiose things. I praise God that my friend's able to influence that many people. And his teaching.
teaching this week. But I've received such joy knowing that I had a small part in getting that kid to go to camp. And it was a camp. The car camps, right, Joe? Joe's one of 100 kids at youth camp this summer. He's already starting to sign people up. That has a small part in that young man's life to see how he's serving the Lord. You never know who you're serving to bless and the blessing that there will be in this world. So don't worry about the titles and the size. You just worry about being obedient and stepping down to serve. And maybe a lost and broken person that just comes across your path this week. Nehemiah is a good example. Nehemiah is an example of someone who had to step out of his comfort to be able to be used by God. We sing this song, the ushers are going to receive the Lord's Tyson's offerings as well as your connection cards. If you want to grow spiritually, you can mark a place on there and we'd love to follow up with you. But let's sing this song and just ask God what he wants to do in our heart and life in these coming weeks to serve him.